Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. If you've joined me before, welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. At the Logical Christian Podcast, we look at what's going on in the world of current events, politics, science, and whatever the mainstream media feels is important to tell us, but rather than just accepting their spin and swallowing their narrative, we look at it logically, and we look at it as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you want to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Land of the free because of the brave. A long time ago when a galaxy, well, this galaxy actually, this country, United States, in fact, a handful of brave men put everything on the line to give the generations to come freedom. It's often stated by the anti-gun nuts that there is no way the founding fathers would have wanted the general population to have weapons of war, to which I'd say, (laughs) what? It's exactly what they wanted. But wouldn't it be interesting if we could bring the founders back to evaluate what we've done with what they gave us and ask them if they'd like to clarify anything in the Constitution, if even just maybe a touch. I have a feeling that after they looked around for about five minutes, and after we got them to stop screaming in terror, they'd probably ask for the nearest quill and inkwell so they could add a few clarifying footnotes to the longest-running Constitution in the history of the world. On today's episode, first we're going to talk about why the word skeleton will soon need to be spelled with an X, you know, skeletixen. Then we're going to see how Disney wants to primp and preen and groom your child more than ever before. And finally, we're going to draw the proverbial line in the fertile soil of freedom. So throw all your biology textbooks away, no use for those anymore, slap on those mouse ears, and get your musket ready, we're surely gone done it now. Hurry up, before we get cancelled. Here we go. Well, that's it. It's over. Humanity is through. It's time to leave this planet, last one off, shut off the lights, and lock the gate. So you know how we're watching humanity around the globe, particularly in the so-called first world nations, erode into a postmodern, relative truth, personal reality, self-focused, delusional population? Yeah, so found on thecollegefix.com headline, gender activists push to bar anthropologists from identifying human remains as male or female. (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's it. It's over. We've we've jumped the shark while crossing the Rubicon, probably in a Jeep Rubicon, towing a Corvette Mako shark. I've actually spoken about this before, I think on this podcast, but if not, definitely in various social media posts and in person, people can call themselves whatever they want. He can pretend he's a she, she can pretend she's a he, it can pretend they's a kitty, they can cut things off, sew things on, implant things, pump full of hormones, shave, not shave, put on makeup, steroid up and get all buff. All of those things are very, very superficial. They don't make anyone anything, but either severely mentally ill, a massive pervert, or simply a pretender. But what I've said for a long time is that there are two things that can't be changed. Your chromosomes and how you're built. When all is done, your body has decayed away and the skeletal remains are all that are left. Archaeologists or paleontologists or biologists or whoever will analyze what they find and determine if you were a male or a female. Those are the two most common options out of the two possible options. They can also determine your age and, to some degree, your 
race, or more accurately, your ethnic background, as we're all one race, the the human one, so even I can look at an icky spooky skeleton and tell you the race. But as the article makes clear, quote, a new school of thought within archaeology is pushing scientists to think twice about assigning gender to ancient human remains. It is possible to determine whether a skeleton is from a biological male or female using objective observations based on the size and shape of the bones, but gender activists argue scientists cannot know how an ancient individual identified themselves. Now, before you chortle or guffaw or harumph, just know that we have some of the brainiest brainiacs on this. So you and I, in our very small minds that are stuck in old think, well, we need to listen up and learn. Let's start with Emma Palladino, an archaeologist student working on her or they or them's... Okay, let me check Twitter. Ah, as suspected. Her pronouns are in she's bio, so she is a student working on her master's. Very easy. Well, she's here to correct our thinking on this. In a 10-post-long Twitter thread, a thread I can read but can't comment on since my permanent ban from Twitter for saying that a he is a he and a she is a she is in full effect, well, she says that it's Bull poopy to think that you can do whatever you want to your body, but when all the covering is gone from your bones, you can't escape your assigned sex. <laughs> oh, assigned sex. That's so stupid. She explains why this is bovine dookie. First, trans and queer archaeologists and scholars have been working for a long time to say you shouldn't just assume the gender of them rattling bones. Uh, second, a sex can be assumed by a bioarchaeologist, but let's be honest, gender and sex are completely different, and gender is a beautiful rainbow, a veritable panoply of possibilities. Next, male or female really only matters for things like population distribution, not so much for learning about the civilization. She then said that we don't know how much bones retain or the effect on bones from hormone therapy like testosterone or estrogen, but we'd be surprised at how much the bones retain. Nope. No, no, no. Don't try to think about that one. You'll get a brain cramp. And really, she says, bones are so much more nuanced than an assigned sex. It's about nuanced life stories. And really... We apparently need more education, empathy, and sensitivity in the science of digging up bones, according to Ms. Palladino, because only you can know truly what gender you are. And even if some, I gotta be careful, kakai archaeologist, she's very focused on poo in these tweets, in the future misgenders your bones, you can be confident that it doesn't change who you are. So... People who don't believe in an afterlife, for the most part, can be confident that they won't feel bad in the future, in their skeletal state. Now, seeing as how if you try either of her two Twitter accounts today, she has completely locked down her Twitter accounts, so you can't see her tweets at all, like none of them, I'd imagine she was ratioed pretty hard. You know, way more commenters telling her how full she is of the doo-doo she's so fond of, rather than agreeing with whatever it was she was trying to sound smart and woke saying. 
Well, we move on to a group that have named themselves the Trans-Doe Task Force. Now, they are a wonderful group, caring deeply for missing humans and ensuring they're identified how they choose, not for what they literally are. Their goal is to, quote, explore ways in which current standards in forensic human identification do a disservice to people who do not clearly fit the gender binary. They, quote, propose a gender-expansive approach to human identification by combining missing and unidentified databases, looking for contextual clues such as decedents or people who have died, wearing clothing culturally coded to a gender other than their assigned sex. Now that tripe is from their mission statement, apparently. They further explain, quote, We maintain our own database of missing and unidentified people who we have determined may be transgender or gender variant, as most current database systems do not permit comparison of missing to unidentified across different binary sex categories. I'll be honest, if a person was abducted in some way, I have a hard time believing that person would rather not be found and rescued if the rescuer is just going to misgender days. It seems to me that individual would just kind of like to be rescued. Finally, Ms. Jennifer Raff. I'm assuming Ms. as she appears to be female, but, but who am I to say, right? I'm not a biologist. She's an associate professor at the University of Kansas. She wrote a book that I don't care about, but she apparently suggests that, quote, scientists cannot know the gender of a 9,000-year-old biologically female Peruvian hunter because they don't know whether the hunter identified as male or female a duality concept that was imposed by Christian colonizers. <laughs> Arr, those darn Christians again. They keep screwing everything up and screwing everyone up with their morals and ethics and truth based on reality. Arr. Now, on the hater side of things, you know, the, those who hate, the, the side that seriously believes there's merit to determining the actual sex and gender, which are the same thing, to ancient bones, Elizabeth Weiss, an archaeology professor at San Jose State, says trying to eliminate this basic identification is nothing more than, quote, ideologically motivated fudging. And that it's only being done because of a movement among academics, quote, toward getting all of the academy's favored shibboleths to accord with one another. She said that the recent increase in people identifying as trans leads to the conclusion that this is a social thing, not a biological thing, and that by trying to retroactively apply this current trend to past humans obscures the current trends. She also said that by doing this, by attempting to blur the lines, we're actually doing a disservice to past women because we'll no longer have a clear understanding of who women were and what role they played in the past. Yeah, now, her viewpoint wasn't really embraced so much by her school. They locked her out of the human remains collection because of her viewpoint, which is why she's currently suing her school for, you know, discriminating against her. And there are others in the field that actually still believe that we should determine and assign the sex and gender of human remains because it's important. Now, I'll be honest. When I saw this article, and, and I hate to admit this, I was shocked. I shouldn't have been. I know. I know. I should have seen this coming. But I foolishly thought that they're bones. You can't argue with bones. 
the markers for male or female are fairly easily determined for those trained to do so. So how can you argue with that? Well, clearly I forgot feelings and post-modernity. There is literally no truth anymore. In a relatively short period of time, at least in the United States, we've seen people unhitch from the Bible, unhitch from morals and ethics, unhitch from the truth, and we're now at a point where people have literally unhitched from reality itself. It's no wonder that artificial intelligence and virtual reality are so popular right now, that the clearly alien being Mark Zuckerberg has jumped into entire virtual lives with the metaverse. Not only do people want to escape reality these days, but they want to create their own reality. The problem is that there is only one creator of only one reality. We aren't able to do this. We're fallible humans. We are very creative, but we can't create perfectly. And we have no control over reality. So people with no grounding to the true truth make up whatever suits them at the moment. And who are you to judge? But they can never reach a point of satisfaction, a point of peace, because they're living outside of not only reality, but any semblance of sanity. The Bible speaks so often of truth, what truth is, where truth can be found. The words truth or true appear over 300 times in the Bible. Psalm 119.160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And Genesis 3.1 says, Did God actually say? And that's where we are. Did God actually say that humanity is one race created by him? Did God actually say he created them only male and female? Did God actually say that sexual perversion is a sin? Surely, if there was or is a God, he, he wasn't as enlightened as we are today. He was operating a long time ago in a patriarchal, oppressive system. We're homo sapiens sapiens. We have science today. We're wise, wise man. We know so much more than anyone could have back then. Problem is, we're not really as wise as we think we are. God did say those things. We know it because it's found in his word, and his word is truth. There's no ambiguity there. What God says goes. What God did stands. There's no way around this. Unfortunately, the reality is... We're sinful because we want our sin, we want our truth, we want to be the masters of our own little universe. And that's speaking of the Christians. The unsaved world doesn't even understand how degenerate and perverted they are, and they don't care. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And that's where we find those in this article. They're perishing. They claim to be wise. They believe themselves to be wise, but they're fools. They're believers in themselves and their truth. And because of that, they'll never find peace. They'll never find joy. They'll never find satisfaction because they'll never find truth. It'll be a continual chasing after the wind. So it's up to us, Christians, who believe in the true truth to be loving. But 
not to waver from the truth of God's word. His laws and his created order are true. We don't hear about it because it's not the accepted narrative, but there are people every day that are finding themselves diligently, legitimately searching for the truth. So-called Christians and alleged churches that believe they're being loving by affirming the lost and their perversions are doing nothing but stamping the ticket to hell for these people. The lost world is full of people that are looking for truth, for a solid foundation, and we need to be those that live and display the only solid foundation of truth there is. So my question is really simply, how long? How long can Disney hang on? They're a huge machine, a huge money-making machine. They've got the parks, the movies, Disney+, Plus, the Star Wars franchise, Pixar, the MCU, among many other holdings. With a few little blips, they've been marching up and up the profit graph for many years. Case in point, they made a profit of about $5.7 billion in 2009. It peaked at $27.5 billion in 2019, then fell all the way to $21.5 billion and only $22.3 billion in 2020 and 2021. Incidentally, does anyone know where I can find their GoFundMe or Give, Send, Go page so I can do my part to help them out? But the decisions they've been making, the changes they've been incorporating, how long before even more of the faithful dump Disney Plus, stop going to the movies, ignore the merch, and finally find other amusement parks that want to be amusement parks, rather than spend an unbelievable amount of money for some rides you can basically get multiple other places, and the ambiance. In 2019, so essentially right before COVID, Disney Parks globally saw over 427,000 visitors per day. That's almost 156 million visitors per year. Now, that seems like a lot. To give you some frame of reference, all of the Six Flags parks combined in 2019 saw 32.8 million guests, so about 20% of Disney. But that's to be expected, right? I mean, Disney was built to provide not only rides, but an entire fantasy experience where you can enter the gates, leave the world behind you, and just enjoy the wonderful world of Disney. But that was before now. Now, the woke ideology of every possible diverse program and agenda out there, which has been slowly creeping in for some time, has finally flooded everything Disney does. They're recasting actors to be the right kind of diversity. They're shoving the LGBTQIIA2 plus at all message into their movies, live action and animated, in the kids' cartoons and in the TV series. They've made a decision as to the direction they want to take, and they are going to steam ahead despite the opposition, and you and I just need to either get on board or shut up. And as their inclusive agenda relentlessly marches forward, found on Axios.com, headline, Disney changes names of fairy godmothers to be gender neutral. Ha, good! The last thing we need is to have the fairy godmothers be gender exclusive. So apparently at the Magic Kingdom Park, they have the Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boutique, where fairy godmothers would give little boys and girls makeovers as either a pretty, pretty Disney princess or a bold, courageous armor-bearing knight. Although there is only one knight package called the Knight Package, there are three levels of princess packages, depending on how much you love or 
despise your child. The carriage package, for those parents who don't think much of their child, only provides makeup, face gems, a sash, and a cinch sack with their choice of hairstyle. For parents who have less disdain for their kid, you'll get what's in the we're thinking about putting you up for adoption package, as well as a princess gown, necklace, accessories, and more. Finally, for parents that truly love their child and aren't afraid to show it by spending money, you'll get all that but step up to the deluxe Disney princess gown, boxed accessory set, and also, and more. But who does all this stuff? Who does the makeup, the gems, the hair, and the gowns for the love children? Well, those used to be the fairy godmothers, but now they're the fairy godmother apostrophe S's apprentices. Wonderful. Now how included do you feel? The article quotes the Disney Parks chairman, Josh DiAmaro, as saying, quote, We believe our cast, who are at the center of the magic that lives in all our experiences, can provide the best of Disney's legendary guest service when they have more options for personal expression, creating richer, more personal, and more engaging experiences with our guests. Do you, Josh? Is that what you believe? Hmm. Okay. Last year, Josh said that he was committed to, quote, modernizing the park's values and changing the guidelines for how park employees look and dress. Ah, good. I'm oh so looking forward to viewing the modernization of cast expression. Looking around me, I have no doubt that it'll just be bibbidi-bobbidi-beautiful. Axios, in a bit of irony, states under the header of Why It Matters that, quote, it's the latest decision by Disney which has historically stuck to a family-friendly and clean-cut image to make its parks more inclusive. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so if that statement is true, and I'd maintain that it is, that means that with the decisions being made today, it's moving away from being family-friendly and clean-cut, sacrificing that for inclusivity. But I gotta ask, if the cast members are all in a better emotional state, because they're feeling more included, but the park attendance is sliced dramatically because now it's family unfriendly and more raw and grungy, filthy and gritty. Will it matter how inclusive Joshy Poo made it when he's standing in the fully inclusive unemployment line? So what is Josh's goal exactly? Well, let me start by saying that Josh, 50 years old, a 22-year employee of Disney, making about $1.5 million per year, is quite the dapper-looking chap, and his metrosexual look with his creeper smile is not making me feel the least bit uncomfortable. He is allegedly married to a woman, and they apparently have kids, so good for him. Good for you, Josh. Back to his goals. Looking on the Disney Parks blog found at DisneyParks.Disney.Go.com, he starts with a quote from the man himself, Mr. Walt Disney, quote, To all who come to this happy place, welcome. Now, Josh states that these words, spoken in 1955 at the dedication of the Disneyland Resort, quote, continue to inspire us and remind us that the magic we make must include everyone. Now, I agree with the words that Josh wrote there, but I believe that he and I have vastly different definitions of what he said. His stated belief is that this means that everyone with their individually, quote, unique life experiences, perspectives, and culture 
must be celebrated and represented. He gives the same corporate tripe of, quote, This starts with actively listening, learning, and working with our cast and guests to imagine the possibilities. Well, after requesting that his cast tell him how to better do his job, he decided that in addition to the 65-year-old four keys given by Walt himself of safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency, he needed to add a fifth key. The heart of the keys, he said, inclusion. So, in addition to reimagining rides, experiences, characters, diversity of suppliers, etc., he decided that other traditions needed to be pooped on as well, the way the cast members come to work. So, now the workers, those who are employed by the people paying them to come to work in a certain condition and do their job in order to earn the pay they're getting per the contractual obligation they signed, well, they'll have a bit more free reign to not be as family-friendly and clean-cut, according to Axios. They can now have gender-inclusive hairstyles, jewelry, nail styles, and costume choices, as well as appropriate visible tattoos. That way, the cast members can express their cultures and individuality. He believes this will help the cast members give a better experience to the guests, somehow. He wraps up his blog with, quote, The world is changing, and we will change with it, and continue to be a source of joy and inspiration for all the world. We'll never stop working to make sure that Disney is a welcoming place for all. So a few thoughts. Well, well, a lot of thoughts, but a few thoughts that I'll state here. Was Disney ever not inclusive? Did they have signs out front that said, uh, keep your gay out of our parks, or something like that? Because I thought they were just kind of open to the world. As long as you don't want to cause trouble, you're welcome, right? This narrative that businesses, attractions, and the like used to be exclusionary is a lie. Sure, there will always be businesses that will exclude certain demographics of people for whatever reason, some due to the nature of the business, some due to prejudicial reasons. But when you look at the grand scope of the corporate world, show me one, just one, that's exclusionary. Disney was designed as a place of escape. The reason it was family-friendly and clean-cut was because it was supposed to be kind of a neutral space. The world stayed outside the gates, and you had the fantasy of just Disney inside the gates. That's why there are underground passages all over for transporting garbage, getting characters to where they need to go next. That's why you won't find garbage on the ground. At least, it won't be there for long. Disney wanted the logistics of the operation to be invisible. But by shoving in diversity and inclusion, you destroy that. Now we can't all be humans participating in an experience. Now we need to be individuals, seeking attention for our very specific attributes. Next, the cast members are now allowed to express themselves with appropriate visible tattoos. Great. Define appropriate for me, please, someone. To some, no tattoos are the only appropriate tattoos. Others would say that as long as it doesn't depict nudity, violence, drugs, sex, or swearing, it's fine. Still others would say that it's up to the individual to determine appropriate. Josh has no idea of the slippery slope he's just stepped onto. Uh, speaking of careening to the bottom of the grease-covered ice sheet of a woke slope, does he truly think that he'll be stopping at gender-inclusive stuff? 
What about cast members that decide he or she is a furry? You know, someone that believes he or she is a cat or a dog. What about those that prefer to be nude? Those that feel wearing bondage gear is their bag. Will Josh seriously stomp all over their individual lived experiences? Will he spit on the individual forms of expression? Who does he think he is? Now, you may say this is silly, and I'd say, (laughs) you better wake up. The slippery slope is real, and for proof, I mean, just open your eyes. For that matter, I sure hope he's not going to discriminate against minor attracted persons. Just because they find little boys or girls to be sexually stimulating, that doesn't mean they can't work in close daily contact with little boys and girls, right? What about if I wanted to express myself by wearing a shirt with a very Christian message and pray with the roller coaster riders before sending them hurtling down the track potentially to their doom or set out Christian tracks on the help desk in the resort? Could I do that? Would I be allowed to express my individuality in that way? I bet I couldn't. I'll just bet I couldn't. Would a visible tattoo saying Christ is the only way be deemed appropriate? Hmm? There's a reason why the Marvel movies and Disney Plus series since Avengers Endgame have been in a declining cycle of disinterest. There's a reason why the Lightyear movie totally bombed. The United States in particular, and I'd feel comfortable saying that the vast majority of everyday average humans around the world, you know, just us schlubs that pay for this stuff, we're not interested in having their agenda shoved down our throats. I mean, Walt Disney must be spinning in his grave like a lathe. I find it hard to believe that he would have ever evolved to agree with any of this garbage. We don't want a business built on taking us out of the world, if even just for a few hours, bringing all the garbage of the world back into the experience. If that's the case, I can watch old movies. I can find amusement parks that are just amusement parks. I can figure out other ways to experience the world without being told I'm a bad person because as a straight man, I don't happen to find some dude playing dress-up attractive. It's amazing to see how fast the world, the United States in particular, is running from God, from biblical principles. Or really, not the United States, as the general population is still more or less along the lines of morals and ethics to some degree. I mean, look, I don't agree with their choice. In fact, I'd have to question the mental health of those that chose to vote for Biden. But there was at least a percentage of the <laughs> the, the alleged 81 million votes that voted for Biden because he seemed to be the more civilized, the nicer, the less brutish of the two. What does that come back to? A sort of ethical behavior. Like I said, if that's what you did, wow, did you screw up that line of reasoning. But, you know, I mean, you can kind of see that, that that's true for some people. So as Christians and others that just don't want this agenda, what do we do? Well, we can boycott, but I'll be honest, boycotts rarely work. And where do you stop? Look at the donations page of any corporation. In nearly every case, you'll find donations to groups or parties you vehemently disagree with. Look for the diversity and inclusion statement of just about any corporation. You'll find the same boilerplate stuff. Bottom line, we'll never get away from it at this point, not until Jesus comes back and everything is reset. I'm not planning on ever going back to a Disney park. I'd rather smack my tongue with a hammer. I'm not taking a Disney cruise. I'm not going to watch movies or shows that promote specific agendas. But I'm a subscriber to Disney Plus because there are a few things that I find interesting on there. And I happen to like the Star Wars stuff even if some of the more recent stuff has been pretty terrible. And my kid watches stuff on there too, stuff she's seen a hundred times, stuff that's relatively decent. You need to make your own choice. Follow your conscience. Do not violate your conscience, as that would be sin for you. But also don't make a law where no biblical law exists. 
Others may or may not agree with your choice. Let the Holy Spirit, through your conscience, guide you and do your best not to push others into stumbling over their conscience. And finally, I'd say pray. Until Jesus comes back, we don't know when the end is. This earth may have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of years left. We don't know. The United States may be right on the edge of yet another great revival. There's no prophecy that tells us where the United States begins or ends. So with everything happening these days, it's possible that the disgust boils over and the nation turns back to God again, at least for a time. So for now, grab your popcorn and sit back to watch the unfolding saga that Disney is creating for itself. And while you wait for the next woke agenda to be revealed, work hard, study hard, always be ready to share the gospel with others, pray, and follow your conscience. And those are about the best things we could do. Welcome to Episode 3 of The American Genesis. In the first two episodes, we covered the general and specific grievances that led to the founding fathers of our country to declare independence from England and the tyrannical oppression of the king. In this episode, we're going to finish our look at the Declaration of Independence by reading the founders' summary and their specific Declaration of Freedom. We'll discuss what this meant for them and what this means for us today. So, let's get to it. We continue reading. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity. And we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And then the signers signed the declaration. You can pull that up and you can see who was on there if you so choose. As I've stated multiple times, the founders did not enter into this lightly. This was not a child throwing a fit because he didn't get his way. This was the final straw. If the king had relented at any point, if the king had compromised and worked with them, it likely wouldn't have come to this. 
But as the first paragraph stated, the Congress and the colonists deemed this king a tyrant that was in no position to rule free people. He was an unfit leader. Unfortunately, he wasn't elected. He couldn't be replaced. He was king for life. And until his life ended, or was taken from him, or he was conquered and his kingdom overthrown, there was nothing that could be done. Sadly, even the appeals to the British citizens fell on deaf ears. An uprising or rebellion by both the colonists and the British citizens could have maybe forced the hand of the king to acquiesce to less tyranny, but it wasn't to be. This is where the Congress makes it clear that they know this will likely be war. War against their countrymen, war against potentially friends and family. But this was not war for war's sake. This was striving for freedom. Therefore, enemies in war, in peace, friends. And that's exactly what we did. In fact, most, if not all, wars and conflicts we fought, this is essentially what we've done. Agree with it or not. Although we no longer fight wars with the overwhelming push to win and win fast and decisively and then move on, we've fought and either provided aid to the innocents caught in the middle during the conflict, or we've provided aid in rebuilding after the fact. This is something that is maybe not unique to the United States, but best displayed by the United States on the world stage. This declaration was undertaken by the authority of the colonists, but made with an appeal to God not to be on their side, not as a mandate from God. They interestingly appeal to the supreme judge of the world, and they specifically present the rectitude or morality of their intent before the judge to determine if they were right in this action. We don't see this these days. We request God to be on our side. We make a decision and ask God to make it work. We don't generally ask God to judge our intent. How many times have we prayed for God to heal? And how many times have we prayed for God to heal, if that's his will, as he knows best? The founders laid their well-debated intention resulting in this declaration in front of the judge to judge their hearts in this action. They didn't claim that God told them to do this, that this was God's will. They reached a decision based on the facts, knowing the likely result, and placed it all before God. What could we take from this as a country? What could we take from this personally? As for the specifics of the independence they sought, this was a full break. Not more rights, not less oppression, not more freedom as a British colony of some sort, but a full break as a brand new country in theoretically equal world standing as England. To that end, they stated the following results of this declaration as absolution from all alliances with Great Britain, the power to wage war and declare peace, the power to ally with whomever they chose, the power to trade freely with whomever they chose, and anything else that any free, independent country can do. As they wrap up this document, they once again appeal to God, but again, not as being on their side, but from a standpoint that their intent is pure, that God as the judge will find their cause just, and thus not luck, but divine providence, in other words, the sovereign guiding hand of God, will see this collection of colonies striving to be a country of United States through to freedom and independence. That said, they absolutely didn't expect God to perform a miracle. They fully expected that this too and were fully prepared to have this cost them everything. To that end, they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to each other and to the cause. And many, founders and colonists alike, lost their lives and their fortunes. Some lost their honor as they turned traitor, but I'd argue that none that stayed true in the fight for the freedom of this country lost their honor. This pledge was very real. 
Remember, British troops were already living in the colonies. More troops were on the way. Indian tribes were being persuaded to fight for the British. The colonists, the founders, knew that they were putting everything on the line with the goal of founding a country that provided true freedom for the generations yet to come. And despite the damage we've done over the years, some of which we'll discuss in future episodes, we're still here, nearly 250 years later. We should be thankful to our founders, to those that were willing to sacrifice everything for you and I to live in freedom. We should be thankful to these men, not all Christians, that strove to ensure their cause was just, their intent was pure, and appealed to God to judge and grant divine providence if they were deemed to be pure in their intent. As for us today, as we look back at what the founders did, the patience with which they pursued all options, and the ultimate decision they made, is there anything that we'd be willing to pledge our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor? More than ever, talk of a national divorce is swirling on both sides of the political aisle. How badly do we actually want a national divorce? Why do we want a national divorce? In that or in any area of our lives, are we willing to place our intentions before God to judge and then carry out justice according to that judgment? Would it be worth going to war with our countrymen? Is this a case of enemies in war, in peace, friends? Or is this very premature? As a person who believes the political right is more closely aligned with the biblical principles, and I only believe that because it's absolutely correct, are our intentions pure and just? And if they are, what are we willing to do and what are we willing to sacrifice right now in a country that's clearly in turmoil? And I mean right now, not the theoretical time period of later, you know, if something happens. Are we sacrificing right now time, money, and talents to show others the true truth found only in the Bible? What are we doing to promote biblical morals and ethics? More pointedly, as this country will pass away precisely at its appointed millisecond, what are we doing today to be the hands and feet of God on earth to show the lost world true freedom, eternal freedom from sin and death, from eternal punishment and torment? See, the founders, the colonists, were not all Christians, but the colonies were originally started to allow religious freedom. Colleges, were generally started in order to train missionaries and pastors. Colonies, cities, and towns had laws constructed that promoted Christian morals and ethics, adherence to the commandments, and in many cases, they required a Christian belief in God to even serve in governmental roles. They knew that a core message of the Bible was freedom and liberty, and they knew that tyranny, if not checked, only gets worse, until all freedom is gone, leaving only slavery. Today, as much as we believe we're oppressed, we have more freedom than anywhere in the world, but we're giving it away because we've unhitched ourselves from the truth of the Bible. We've gone from Bible and dwindling freedom to freedom and dwindling Bible. Once we lose sight of the truth, then any smooth-talking strongman with nefarious intentions can come in and enslave the population. We're running down that path today and picking up speed. This is why we don't necessarily need to focus our lives, fortunes, and sacred honor on a national divorce. Rather, we need to focus on helping others to reconnect with the truth. And although an end goal of rescuing our country from the mess it's currently in is an admirable goal, being the instrument God uses to open the eyes of a hell-bound sinner to the truth of salvation infinitely surpasses the temporary postponement of the ultimate demise of our country. And that's where this episode of the American Genesis will come to an end. On the next American Genesis episode, we'll start our dive into the oft-forgotten, short-lived Articles of Confederation. Although these were far from perfect, 
as God tends to do, he leads us down a path of discovery, which often includes errors and mistakes as part of our learning process. Rather than just handing us the perfect answer, he lets us work it out. And as I stated before, I do believe that this country was divinely established, so even the Articles of Confederation had something for the founders and have something for you and I to learn. So, with that, from the American Genesis, I shall until next time bid you adieu. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. If you've made it this far, the odds are you liked what you heard. I'd greatly appreciate a like, a comment, and a review if you're so inclined. As you likely already know, it all helps with the algorithms. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. And finally, if you found this podcast useful or entertaining, share it with your friends, your enemies, your in-laws, your outlaws. If you want to reach me, you can do so at lcpodcast at outlook.com or increasingly I'll be using at lcpodcast on Getter. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic there is no armor like ignorance. But Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.